You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Again, if you're keeping up with the numbers on the original list, this is number four. It's the teaching on body, soul, and spirit as it relates to marriage. And uh, the, the thing I would say first is that for marriage to be such a primary relationship in the Scripture, recognizing that the, the Bible begins with a wedding, in Revelation it ends with a wedding. And there's so much about, about weddings all between about about marriage and relationships and and it is it is the one relationship of a bride and bridegroom that we recognize even from the beginning of the bible to the end of the bible that relationship is is a very fixed one it is it's one that by design doesn't change and so if we we wonder i, I do anyway and, and, and try to relate this when I'm performing a ceremony, that it's interesting to me that marriage holds this very prominent place in the Scripture, but even in the Christian world, I find so few good ones. I find a, a lot of mediocre ones. I find a few good ones. I rarely find a great one. But since the Bible is so built upon this premise of that relationship... It ought to be for us one of those that we recognize should bring us into a place as husband and wife should bring us into a place far beyond what any other relationship could bring. And it, and it, and it rarely does. And so we need, this, we need to understand a few of the basics as to why it dynamically doesn't change. What, what, are, we, what are we possibly missing? So I want us to go at the beginning of this to kind of an obvious place in, into Genesis chapter 1. I, I teach a, a great deal from, the, from the, some of these passages, but tonight I'm just going to try to keep this in a capsule related to marriage. Beginning in Genesis 1, beginning with verse 26. And God says, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So the first thing that I need to be able to to share about the foundation of not only marriage, but of so many things is that if we are very specifically, you know, created in his image, then it kind of compels me at the beginning of our understanding to recognize some, some basics about that image. And again, you know this as backward and forward as I do, but, but God is a trichotomous God. The word, even the word Elohim in Hebrew speaks of a multi-part God. So the, even the word that's used there for God kind of makes this announcement that we're talking about a God who is 
is a multi-part God. So when we recognize that he's trichotomous and I'm, I'm created in his image, I should also recognize that I too am a trichotomous being. And we don't, we don't debate this much. We recognize that, you know, that we're told in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5 that, you know, he speaks of the salvation of the spirit and the soul and the body. We hear him speak in Hebrews of the dividing asunder of, of soul and spirit. So we, we should be able to recognize that these are, are these, these are three clear and distinct things. But if I don't know this almost on a cellular level down to where it's some of the most basic things I understand, I'm going to, I'm going to miss some things about marriage. And there are things that I can't afford to miss. There are things that, I, that foundationally I have to know. Because just like I have shared with you about ministry, it's very difficult to understand ministry if we don't know the difference. Next week, unless something changes, I'm going to talk about body, soul, and spirit as it relates to death because we can't understand death correctly if we don't understand this and, 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 and let the spirit tell us and teach us from this foundation. So on this topic of marriage is critically necessary because much of what causes marriage is to be mediocre, to just kind of settle into something that we can accept rather than being the very dynamic of what God used to describe a relationship with the most intimacy that could compare to what our relationship with God is, why it's not, why we don't live out that that extreme of it and actually settle into something that's mediocre. We won't understand how to, to, to step into greatness if we don't understand the difference between spirit, soul, and body. It even starts in, 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 in our understanding of things like this. You know, the, the love connected to those things physical, we're, we're not surprised is the word eros. The word that connects to, to soul, because it, this is what makes us self-aware. Our soul makes us other aware. So we're not surprised that the love connected to it, and I may misspell that, is phileo, friendship. And we shouldn't be surprised that the love that's connected to the things of the spirit is agape. Again, if I don't know that, if I don't understand that, then by all effort that I would try to produce love and actually think that the loving relationship with my wife is up to me, I'm going to, rec I'm going to run into something, a deficiency, a deficit very, very quickly. I will recognize that I don't have the capacity to love someone the way they need to be loved for a lifetime. We don't have it. We, we, we should just immediately assess it. So go with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Again, very, very familiar passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'll, and I'll begin reading in, in verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, 
that love. I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Because love suffers long, it's kind, love envies not, love vaunts not itself, is not puffed up, It does not behave itself unseemly, seeks not its own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Okay, if I'm going to marry someone and stand there and tell them that this is the way you're supposed to love your husband or wife, How long is it going to take to come to a place of failure? 30 minutes. 30 minutes, maybe, if you get that far. So what is is this first step in recognizing what it takes to live dynamically in marriage more than what we typically recognize is that the love that I could accomplish with someone cannot be the love that originates in me. This passage is not him telling us this is the way we need to love each other. We have to, we have to eliminate the rest of the text, the rest of the scripture, the rest of, of all instruction to believe that this is him telling us this is my expectation of how you can love someone. Nope. He's telling us this is how I love you. He's describing this love right here and who and always whom has to be the origin of that love. Remembering, you know, that, that our spirit was dead. And when, we, when we're saved, then the Holy Spirit can come and fill this and quicken us. And so, because this, where this allowed me to be other aware, or my spirit allows me to be God aware. It's, the, it's, the, it's where that connection is made. If I do not know that the love that I'm supposed to have for my wife originates in him, it's his love, it's not mine, it can't come from me, I can't be the wellspring of that love, then I'm going to, I'm going to settle in my marriage into something mediocre. That's the best we're going to get. That's, that's as far as the relationship is going to extend because we understand, these are, these are big words that we already know, we understand that love here is unconditional. Everything down here, if I, I, need, I need to have a, a watermark that I could just quickly place across everything down here because, again, These two basically create the flesh. Everything down here where I could stamp unconditional across there, what am I going to have to stamp across this? Conditional. Everything can change. My feelings can change. My thoughts can change based on any change in circumstance, based based on any change of situation. My emotions can change. My thoughts can change. So I become, in in marriage, I become this constantly fluctuating person that I'm asking somebody to adapt to. 
And God's saying, no, because I am the fullness of this. So that, again, if, if I'm going to tell you down here that I, that, I, that I forgive you, what does that mean down here? Until you do it again. I, I, I forgive you. Just don't do it again. What does I forgive you up here mean? I forgive you. And there's nothing after it. Because my forgiveness for you doesn't, is, is, is not dependent on you. Because the forgiveness that I'm offering, the unconditional forgiveness that I'm offering, originated in him. If we don't know the wellspring from which our life together comes, again, if, if I don't know fully that this, that this cup in the Spirit is designed to be filled by the Spirit and that, and that marriage is the result of an overflow, then I will begin to expect the cup to produce love. I will expect that cup, and we, we, would, we, would, t- we would say that this is absolutely ridiculous. I would expect the cup to produce water. And I, and, I, and I have every expectation that that cup can produce water. And it's not doing it. So I know what to do. I'll send it to school. I will send it to water producing school. I'll send that thing off when it's young and I'll get it back when it's older and much more mature. And now I'll know because of good training that that cup can produce water. And I get it back out, out of school and it's been off for several years. Get it back and I say, okay, now cup, produce water. And it won't. So I know, I know what it needs now. If it's, not, if it's not education, it must be motivation. So I'll bring in a motivational speaker. And I will have this motivational speaker talk to that cup. And I'll, and I'll bring in cheerleaders. And I will, I will, I will I get these cheerleaders to dance around this cup and, and to get it to produce water. What's going to happen at the end of the day? Can't do it. What's the chance that I'm going to produce love from within me that's adequate to love someone fully and completely over a lifetime? You can send me to school. You can bring in a motivational speaker. You can have cheerleaders come in and dance around me. My capacity is not adequate to love somebody fully, especially if I expect that the relationship at the beginning doesn't have a tendency to run down but gets more dynamic in the growth of it, which we certainly should expect. Because when, when it's him, when, it's, when he's the origin, we, we get to experience a very, very do, dynamically different relationship. And again, I watch many, many Christian mediocre marriages simply because all the energy for it, all the passion in it, all the compassion in it is being, is being driven by, by my capacity in the flesh. And we settle deeply into mediocrity. And it won't change. And, 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 but the beauty of it is that any moment in any relationship, whether you've been like Jan and I, we're coming up on 43 years. How long are y'all? 
No, how long you been married? Unless you, unless, uh, yeah, 50, 53, 53 years of marriage. Okay. Anybody here want to beat that? 53 years of marriage and, and imagining that even at 43 years of marriage, that somehow I would be adequate to create a, a dynamic relationship with my wife based on me. So we start in marriage recognizing that at any point in, that, in this 43 years, if, even if the marriage has been going downhill, I can still at any point recognize this and dynamically change the direction. Many times when I'm dealing with couples that are struggling and, I've, and, I've only, and I'm only counseling with one, I will tell them, I'll ask them this question, was your, was your relationship kind of running downhill? Running out of energy, running out of interest. And, and consistently, if they're in there with a marital problem, the answer is yes. But when I begin to talk to somebody and we begin to really deal with deep things in their life, this begins. And you begin to really see this, this unusual difference in this person because they, they're hearing some things, they're understanding some things, they're recognizing where respect plays into the story. They're understanding how to build that respect. But, but, but they're also recognizing that it's by the Spirit that, that where this was running downhill, this is moving them now toward life kind of in its fullest. Because our hope is always at any point that the, that the other person who's not in my office who continues on this path will actually at some point see the difference and come join them in it. There's no time limit on when that can occur. There's no time in anybody's marriage where that adjustment can't be made. Where there's actually this recognition that, I, that the spirit might not have been but I can invite the spirit into the relationship at any time and it will dynamically change. But when, again, in the Christian world where this conversation is not even held, what does that life look like? What does life in the spirit look like? Well, isn't it interesting that, uh, I'll, use, I'll use the green one. I wanna just draw this line down the middle and we'll just say over here that this is the him and this is the her in the relationship. When we start talking about unequally yoked, unequally yoked has been so mistreated in the scripture and been taught to mean some horrific things. What it actually means is that you, you have two people that are not, who are in, on the, on a, again, on a very basic and molecular level are different. Because let's just say that, that he is not saved and the spirit is dead, but she is and the spirit is alive, what will the best level of marriage they ever be able to have? They will only be able to have a marriage from here down. That, that is unequally yoked in, 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 a, in a very foundational way. So, you know, what, what, have you, what have you isolated yourself from? It's the same thing. What happens in kind of in the, in the definition of carnal, maybe both of them are saved, but have never been taught about what this life looks like. Don't, don't know about hearing from God because when I marry somebody, 
that, and, and what I share with them when, when, when both are saved is that you have an opportunity now is, is that you're still two very individual bodies. Very apparent. You're two very individual souls, unique thoughts, unique emotions. You're bringing a lot of that into the relationship very much by God's design. But where, where does unity exist? It's in the spirit. Because then, if you'll recognize that, the, that a marriage is a spiritual connection that now gives you, that gives you an opportunity to, to be together in the soul and in the body, but, but marriage is a spiritual encounter, what you begin to recognize in that is that both of us get to hear the same voice. Both of us get to hear the same word from God because, because now my spirit and my wife's spirit has now been connected according to Genesis to create oneness again in us so that, so that when, when the Holy Spirit speaks, then I can trust that he's going to bring unity between me and my wife. So there's, you know, there's been things in my life that I've had this great idea and I talk to Jan and it's like, yeah, I don't know. I really get in trouble when I run ahead because the question that she has, because she is very much engaged in the spiritual reality with me, is that that caution often is, is the wisdom of God that's, to bring me back into reality of something I missed. But boy, when we hit it and, and it's like, you know, I'll, I'll think something and I'll bring it up and Jan will say, you know, I was thinking the same thing. Then we begin to recognize, we begin to recognize that we're sharing something from, from her spirit and my spirit. We're, find, we're finding that connection. And it's unusual what that dynamic can really create. When we get to recognize in marriage, I get to bring the full force of heaven into this relationship. I get to bring everything he wants to pour, everything he wants, everything he wants to do. Because, you know, you, you see me talking about this a lot, that, that because one of the things that happened to Jesus at his baptism was that all of heaven was opened unto him. But, but when, when my arms, and I talked to you about this, I, I, when, I want God to see me this way. I want him to see this opening of this vessel to be as wide and as open as it can possibly be. But what can double this width? A couple. With Jan standing next to me, also equally ready to receive, we double the width of how fast he can do what he does. We can invite the very dynamic of God into it. So what, what difference does it make? Well, you know, we're all grown up in here. I think I've only got a question about one or two of you, but uh, for the most part, so that if I draw this chart with an, with an X and Y axis, and I start talking about this question of intimacy, that this is, the, this is a graph that typically pictures the sexual intimacy between a couple. We've been sold a bill of goods that says it looks like this. That the, that the, the, the interest, the, in, the intimacy, the sexual intimacy is greatest at the beginning. And we've kind of accepted that after that 
first year, first two years, first three years, that somehow it kind of wanes and we slip into something that we just, it just seems a little more comfortable. And we've kind of been told that. And, 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 and that's been perpetuated even within the Christian church. I asked young couples when I'm teaching this, I said, is this, is this really what you want to sign up for? Do you recognize I'm going to be married to somebody for 43 years or 53 years or 70 years and the best of the sexual intimacy is in the first two or even the first five? Does that help any? No. But what if, what if I bring God into this? What if I fully and completely invite him spiritually into this story? What should this look like? Well, I'm going to draw another graph over here. And I believe this is right when I talk about the nature of God, that, that it's always forward and it's always upward. Now, I could draw something flat and say it doesn't change. But my point here is that the one thing I can say about God is he's never going to have this time of progression in the bell curve and he'll never have regression. But what if I invite him? What if I invite his nature, his character, his love that we talked about on the other side, what if I bring that into, my, into the sexual intimacy of my marriage? What would the line look like? I think it would actually look like this. There's a reality of that intensity. That's not the part that I, I'm concerned about. It's the fact that we've accepted this when this is possible. But, but until we recognize that it's only possible when we recognize we've been brought into a spiritual relationship so that, so that Jan and I, in a spiritual relationship together, have invited one spirit in to come dwell in that spot. Only then, and again, this isn't magic. How much of our intimacy is being affected by how angry I was yesterday? By the baggage from the last argument or the last disagreement or the last frustration or the last disappointment? Well, what if we recognize that what Jesus has done is to come so that so that he will absolutely sever my past from me. Okay, now we're talking back in this other, on this other page. What if the part of this, the way this works, is that Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, was designed to sever my past from me so that my next moment in the future is not encumbered by something I did behind me. Now, I happen to believe that. I believe he always sets us up in a position of freedom so that obedience is possible and unencumbered by the mistake I made yesterday. That's his nature. He accomplished that on the cross. That, that he bought that for us. Now, if I believe that's true, then a mistake I made yesterday, this, a mistake I made 10 years ago that's now in my past, he severed it. Now, that sounds arrogant until I, until I sit back and realize even from Paul, it's saying, does that give me permission then to do wrong things just because I know 
that's going to be behind me here in, in, in a few minutes? And his answer is, God forbid. Because we know the love that it took to sever it, which compels us to something different. But how nice it is to know that, that we have the potential because of the Spirit to love each other today unencumbered by yesterday. That the forgiveness that's required to bring healing in those moments is a forgiveness that is, that is renewed every day that doesn't go back and get itself attached, that it remembers no more, it doesn't attach again. So that I can actually enter into this time of intimacy unencumbered by something that's happened behind us. I tell you, it, that's the kind of freedom that he bought and paid for. Because he wanted us to be able to live in this wonderful relationship that, he's, that got designed by him in the very beginning when he made male and female, when he united them at the end of the next chapter and, and, and they became one flesh. When, he, when, when that occurred and we get to watch all this, then we recognize that what he intended became dynamically possible simply because they were in a relationship that allowed for the father's nature, the other-centered nature that they carried to be lived out as they walked together because there was no awareness of self. They were completely other-centered. That's how they could be in the, in the relationship in the garden the way that they were. And when we, and, and I can change this from intimacy. I, I can create any other chart about communication, about friendship in the relationship, about trust. And all of it will be, if we invite him, will be based on his nature because the forgiveness actually works. And I, and I don't look at Jan and, and remember what she did once or what she did yesterday because, because forgiveness is plan A. There is no plan B. We, we, we stand in the relationship forgiven. And we discount that and we don't even imagine that we can have that type of relationship because we've been trained so long to believe that the way that we work out a marriage is in our mind and in our, in our emotions. And that's what governs today. The outcome will always be the same. We'll slip into something mediocre. We'll slip into something where we're kind of tolerating each other. And in the relationship that God says, I'm going to give you this relationship from beginning to end because it's going to picture my relationship with the church, with my body, the bride and the bridegroom. How many times does he use the illustration to speak of this relationship? He's saying, I'm going to set it up so even in your relationship here, I'm going to equip you with the capacity and the capability to have a relationship with another human that will come very near, allowing you to see what the relationship between you and your and, and the bridegroom will actually be. And how we're living in the mediocrity, and that becomes our normal expectation when it's the one relationship from beginning to end that was designed to put on display the intimacy of a bride and a bridegroom. And we've allowed it. And again, we wonder why our children don't want to follow in, and, and get married. It's what have they watched? What's, what's the witness been? What's the testimony been 
And can they see any advantage in, in, in a couple that is living together versus a couple that's married? They should be able to see a dynamic difference. Because the married couple understands that what happens when I say by the power vested in me by the state as a licensed minister in the state of Texas, but more importantly by God's voice in this matter, I now pronounce you husband and wife, that God creates this union that, that absolutely no one else can create. He creates a, a, a covenant relationship, a union right there. With all, the, with all the capacity of the father. Again, it, I love the picture, of the thought of Adam laying on the ground. Perfectly designed, having a heart that's ready, having lungs that are ready, having muscles that are ready, having a brain that's ready. It's lacking one thing. What does it need? It needs the breath. Because the breath made all the capacity, the capability built into this body come to the surface and come to life. What capacity do I have as a husband? What capacity does Jan have as a wife indwelt by the Spirit? What will make it all come to life? The breath of God, the Holy Spirit. And, and we will miss something. We will miss a great deal if we don't recognize that this is how the relationship is formed this is how he has sealed it and how we can actually enjoy a relationship that hasn't become mediocre. You know, I, I, can only, I really only share one testimony about this because I only know one. But in 43 years, I wouldn't say that Jan and I haven't had disagreements because it would just be absolutely untrue. But to ever roll something in the cat into the category of a fight, that number zero. The number of conversations that we've had over a lifetime about not being together, zero. And I, and I didn't start knowing all of this, but I want to tell you, I, I, I came to a realization very quickly in my, in my young life that, that, that my ability to love her fully was always going to be lacking. So somewhere very early in our relationship, both of us realized that the capacity had to be changed. The capacity to bring a dynamic into this had to be changed. And we realized what it was. We realized that it was the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you, I, can't, I just, I really can't tell you how many things settled in, into, into, into place in the very dynamic of our relationship here, I can say after 43 is as exciting as it was the day we got married. It has, it has never changed. I, I, I want to be with one person. I want, I want to go home to one person. I want to see one person's face. I want to wake up next to one person. And it's, all, and it's always because, not what I've done, but what the Spirit's done. It's, it's, it's a unique, it's a powerfully unique dynamic. Let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. I know this isn't a scripture that's specifically related to marriage. It's much more expansive than that. But it, but it, it, is, it is very, very applicable. I'm going to go ahead and begin in verse 1. But the two scriptures that I really want to 
pay attention to for just a minute is verses 2 and 3. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavor to keep the unity, you see there's the word, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now again, I know that that's speaking to a, a topic that's much more expansive, but I want to tell you it's extremely applicable, applicable to marriage. Because when we recognize where does lowliness come from? If, if, I, if, I, if I'm going to actually be genuinely humble, it's coming from the Spirit. Because what will my soul try to do? My, tro- my soul will try to elevate. My spirit brings me into the proper relationship, recognizing who I am in relationship to who he is. We won't have a dynamic marriage if, if this lowliness, this humility is not in place because I will think I can do it. I will think this marriage is up to me. I will take on the assignment and I will, and I will endeavor, I will try hard to make it all that I'm supposed to be until I come into the proper relationship with him and realize the humility that's necessary. I'm not ever going to be the husband that I'm supposed to be. He says, and forbearing one another in love. Now, I don't know if I understand all the technical things that that means in Greek, but it means that on the days that Jen can carry no load, I will carry the whole load. Because love says that if you, if you, if you can offer nothing, if you can bring nothing, I will bring everything. See, this is the nature of the covenant that God made with us. We get to watch this in Genesis 15 where this unfolds. He's met, God has had this conversation with Abram before he was Abraham, and he tells him, I'm going to make you a great nation. By all you, by you and by your family, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And your descendants are going to be numbered like stars and like the sand. But late in the day, God says and gives an instruction, I want you to, to, to create a sacrifice. The nature of the covenant, again, I've talked about this before, was the most extreme covenant of the Old Testament, and that was one where, the, where blood was shed. So the instruction that God gave to Abram was to take a bull, cut it in half, put one, over, one side over here and put the other part over here. Take a sheep, cut it in half, half over here, half over here. This had to be a miserable day for him. I can't, I can't even imagine how hard this, is, this, this actually is. The small animals, he said, don't cut them in half, take two. Sacrifice one, sacrifice the other. And basically, he's creating this bloody alley. The way you seal the covenant was then would be for God and for Abram to walk through this sacrifice back and forth, therefore sealing a covenant to whatever the terms were. But at the end of the day, God let him go to sleep. And the Shekinah glory of God fell and passed through the sacrifice alone. What was the message? I've got it. I can't trust you, Abraham, to live up to your side. So I'm going to make the full commitment on me. Because I want my promises to be fulfilled even if you don't keep your side of the the promise. 
But when we establish covenant relationships in the vows that we speak, and we, and we include these words in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, forsaking all others, we use those words because what we're actually doing is saying to one another, if you can bring nothing, if there's a day when you can bring nothing, it's okay because, it's, because my commitments are not secure in you. They're secure in me. And this isn't designed to be a long-suffering. It isn't designed to simply say, okay, I'll, I'll just tough it out. No, that's not the word. It's that the provision that both of us have, when you can't give it, the provision that both of us have is big enough, and I will deliver the provision. Because that's, what, that's the covenant that God was making. I want my promises to you. I want to love and to cherish you and to, until death do us part. I want that to be dependent, not on you. I'm taking that on me. That's the covenant. There's oftentimes when, when things happen in marriages, and even though there's one who's still very willing, it just, it just can't happen. But when it's, when it's saying forbearing in love, it's saying I will carry what you can't carry. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We know this. If there's going to be any unity in this church, it's not because we get along. We're too different. We see the world differently. We see scripture differently. We hear differently. So I, if, we, if we started listing all the differences in us, it would be an extreme list when we got down into this, in the detail of these differences. You know, we can start, you know, man and woman. We can, boy, that, that begins to create a, a huge difference in us. And then among the men, among the women, we, get, we start dividing, we start dividing and looking at all these differences. If there's going to be unity, where does it come from? It comes from the Spirit, because the Spirit in me and the Spirit in you is the same Spirit. We get to hear the same thing. So the very design of unity is a, is, is a spiritual unity. And I am designed in the, in, in, in the relationship to endeavor, recognizing I wish that we were automatically there. But the but Christian maturity really occurs when we, when, when we recognize and, and can stay in the spirit in a 24-hour period, a more extended length of time, that we find ourselves in the, in, in the spirit more often than anything else. But, but I know that I'm human. There's going to be many moments that I'm going to process things in the flesh, but I also know, the, I know where the off-ramp to that is, into the spirit. And that I that I can always have access, I can always live, I can always have access to the Spirit of God. And that the unity that I need, because it, it's amazing, I had one of these not too long ago, and we all have them, but something happened between Jan and I. Typical, normal things. And I could, and I could feel, and we're, we're getting, both of us getting very good at this. We can feel that that moment is fixed to do this. And we're both getting very good at saying, whoa, nope, not going to happen. Because, again, these are, these are a bit shocking to me. Uh, I'm going to do this off of Jan's age instead of, instead of mine because that's, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But, but uh, last week, uh, last Wednesday, uh, Jan turned 71. So, and, and she's, she's, she lives, her family lives 
has a pretty long, good longevity. But let's just say, for the sake of conversations, I'll be 84 when she turns 91. That's, that's 20 years. And let's multiply that times 365. So that means we have just over 7,000 days left. Now, which one of those days do I want to waste? None of them. I don't, so, I, so being able to catch those moments to maintain the unity in the spirit becomes very important to say, because if we don't catch it, we're going to waste one of those days. And, when, and again, if, if, I, if, I, if I multiply that times 0.66, recognizing that one-third of our life we will be asleep, then, then now, now we're down to just under 5,000 waking days together. And, it, it, you know, because right now I'm, it's, it's affected by the fact that I'm working so I would multiply that times 0.5 and recognize that if I'm gone to work, we're down to 2,500 days. So when, when you begin to recognize how much time we actually have together, and, and, I, and I don't care what, at what age you do this, if you, just, if you just got married and you're 20 years old, how many of those days do you want to waste? The answer is None. So we endeavor to maintain the unity of the spirit in these relationships because then the forgiveness is in place and it's unconditional forgiveness. Love is unconditional. The grace is full. The kindness is unconditional. And we begin to love each other, treat each other according to, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 so that the love of God begins to produce something because again, we've heard me say it a thousand times, I can't give her what I don't have. If this cup isn't full and overflowing, I don't have anything to give her. Again, it's, it, it's, but if we don't recognize from a foundation level that marriage is a recognition that it is a spiritual bonding, a spiritual connection that creates a unity that is unexplainable, that's not based on how good I am at what I do, but truly a, 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 a spiritual connection that I can endeavor to maintain in, in, these, in these terms of peace, as described here, that we can actually have that kind of relationship. I was sitting in my office last week and was talking about this with, with someone, and I, and I had one of these cups like Elaine has on my desk and talking about how it's supposed to be filled and overflowing. I said, but the problem is, and I just reached in my, in my desk drawer and I dropped in, into the cup, I dropped an eraser, I dropped, you know, I dropped you know, two or three things, paper clips. I said, this is the problem. We're filling the cup with things that don't belong there. And, and it's consuming the capacity of the cup. And I said, and, but when, when you're delivered, we're taking all that out. Because I was trying to explain to them why it's so necessary in deliverance. To, to The last question I asked, are you willing to be, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because I need to immerse that cup un, under, and so it comes up full. I need to immerse that person in the Holy Spirit so that at any place that wasn't completely filled, it will be. And, and, for, and for good and very practical reasons, we do that. But, but, you know, if we don't have this understanding that we have a capacity that's been so dynamically increased, you know, again, it's, I haven't used the balloon illustration in a while, but if, if, I, if I take two balloons out of the same package and I blow one of them up, 
and I tie, tie it and I hold it out and I let go of it, what's going to happen? It's going to go to the floor. If I take the other balloon and I fill it full of helium and I tie it and I hold it out, what's it going to do? It's going to go to the ceiling. I changed the capacity, not because I affected the balloon, but simply by what I put in it. See, my capacity dynamically changes as a husband when I'm filled with the Spirit. It's, a, it's, it's such a simple reality. That breath in us that versus the breath I can bring to something dynamically changes my capacity, dynamically changes what I'm capable of doing. And it's, again, it, it's, it's, not, it's not a hard lesson. It's just that we've, we, we, we rarely are reminded because most marriages now that I see are so encumbered by past that they're still, that they're, that they're still remembering so many broken things, so many broken moments, so, so many hateful things said. It's very difficult now for them to break free and actually realize that the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, is allowing that to be forgotten so that I can start today in a relationship like maybe I've never even had with, with the person that I'm, that I'm married to. The unity is something we're given, not something we can manufacture or, or create. It, it's, a, it's a gift because it was given with the Spirit. So, All right. Lord, we thank you tonight for this reminder of how you form a marriage how you bring that connection and why only couples that are married can receive some of the things because marriage by your design allows you to just abundantly release into marriage a fullness that's not possible otherwise. So Lord, we thank you that you remind us and teach us of this. this. And to those of us who are, who are, are, you know, can, can, can share a story about these relationships and the love of this relationship, I pray, Lord, that, that we would, each one of us would recognize not only in friendships and in, in, in with, with children, but, but very dynamically in marriage, that it's made, on, it's made possible only because of you. There's only one person in the face of the world who's ever been capable of being the husband that my wife needs, and it's not me. It's you. So I pray, Lord, that each day what she would receive would be you and not me. So we thank you that you have allowed us and designed us to be able to receive so much so that you could pour out over, over, the, over the edges. We realize that our cup is full. Our cup is overflowing, as David said. And that the people around us get to be blessed not by us, but by you, the anointing and the overflow. So thank you, Lord, for this reminder tonight about how you design marriage in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.